Welcome to the Heal Your Hormones podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle. I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor specializing in hormones and fertility. And have you ever been in the situation, maybe in high school or college, where you were working on an assignment or writing a paper and either your computer crashed or for some reason it just disappeared or it didn't save? Um, that is what happened with me in this podcast episode. I recorded it about an hour ago. And then it just poof, just disappeared, just gone. Um, I was very frustrated and very irritated. Um, Even though I'm like, you know, I know I can record, re-record it. It's fine. But then I realized, you know, it was 1 p.m. I haven't eaten since 8 a.m. I was like, I know my blood sugar is low. I know that's why I'm irritated. So I went, made myself a lunch. I'm feeling much better. And that really ties in well with today's topic because we're going to be talking about balancing blood sugar naturally to support our hormones. And if you have PCOS, you may already know that this is a struggle for you. About 70% of women with PCOS have some degree of insulin resistance. And that's why it's really important if you have PCOS that your doctor, your primary care, your gynecologist tests you for insulin resistance at some point so that you know if blood sugar is something that you should really be focusing on as part of your PCOS care. So I just want to kind of dive into insulin. So what exactly is insulin? This is a hormone that is produced in the pancreas to help bring sugar, which is also known as glucose, from our blood into our cells to be used for energy. So when we eat, say, a donut that is going to be a high sugar food, our blood sugar is going to spike. It's going to increase very quickly. And as a result, our body is going to say, okay, blood sugar is too high. We need to get this sugar into cells to be used for energy so that we can rebalance the blood sugar. So our pancreas is going to make insulin, and then insulin helps to carry that sugar into cells to be used for energy. So if we continue to have these blood sugar spikes, then we will continue to make insulin quickly. And over time, our cells will become less sensitive and less responsive to insulin. And this is when we see insulin resistance. There are also certain nutrients like vitamin D that can help our cells respond better to insulin. So if we are deficient in, say, something like vitamin D, then we may experience more insulin resistance as well. Now, you may be saying, okay, so goal here is to just keep the blood sugar as low as possible. But that's actually not what we want to do. We really want to keep the blood sugar stable. And this is because when our blood sugar crashes, when it becomes too low, so say maybe you ate breakfast at 8 a.m., but then you go to work, you don't eat anything while you're at work, and then you get home and finally eat dinner at 6 p.m. By this point, your blood sugar is going to be very low. And as a result, our body is going to increase cortisol which we typically think of as our stress hormone, but it also helps our body make glucose, sugar, from proteins in the liver. So for many women, cortisol levels are already high because of stress. And so when our blood sugar crashes, it's going to cause cortisol levels to increase as well. So some signs of sugar imbalance, blood sugar imbalance, can include things like energy crashing. So I especially see this with um, energy crashing in the afternoon, as well as brain fog in the afternoon and sugar cravings. We can also see weight gain, headaches, mood swings, and even irregular periods. 
So the way insulin ties in with our other hormones, one way is that high insulin can increase, it can trigger production of androgen hormones in our ovaries. So hormones like testosterone. Now with something like PCOS, we know that testosterone typically is already high. So when we have this blood sugar imbalance and we have high insulin, it's only going to contribute to higher testosterone levels. We know that high testosterone can cause symptoms like acne, hair loss, facial hair growth, and even irregular periods and infertility. High insulin can also decrease a protein called sex hormone binding globulin. Now, this protein does exactly what it sounds like. It binds up sex hormones, so hormones like estrogen and progesterone. Now, we want this protein to bind up sex hormones because it helps to keep hormones in check. So if we have really high estrogen, this protein is going to bind up the estrogen we don't need so that estrogen is not available to cause symptoms. So if we have high insulin and this protein is decreased, then we're going to have this extra estrogen testosterone roaming the body free to cause symptoms. So if you experience symptoms related to high estrogen, like painful periods, heavy periods, PMS, breast tenderness, weight gain, then balancing your blood sugar can be a way to get in control of these symptoms. And then last thing I'll say in terms of insulin and our hormones is that if you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's, which is when we have a low thyroid function, low thyroid function can actually increase insulin resistance. So it's important that, you know, you're really getting all of these hormones checked, that you're not just assuming your symptoms are because of one hormonal imbalance, because you can see how they all play in with each other. So when it comes to balancing blood sugar, Fortunately, diet does play a huge role, which means that we really can take control of our blood sugar just through the food choices that we make. Now, I am not a fan of counting calories or counting macros or counting carbs. I just don't think that that is sustainable or enjoyable. I think it's not great for our mental health, especially. So I more so like to focus on how to build a plate in a way that's going to support our blood sugar and support our hormones. So I want you to imagine a plate in front of you and on half of the plate, you have non-starchy vegetables. So you have leafy greens, broccoli, peppers, artichokes, tomatoes, all the vegetables you can imagine that are non-starchy, half of them, half of your plate is filled with them. Then moving on to the other side of the plate, you have a quarter of your plate with whole grains and starchy vegetables. So whole grains include things like quinoa, oats, and brown rice. And then starchy vegetables are going to be sweet potatoes, squash. This category will also include beans, lentils, tofu, tempeh, those more heavier starches that are going to be high in fiber. And fiber is going to help to slow down the absorption of sugar into our bloodstream, which is going to prevent any sort of blood sugar spikes. So you've got half the plate, non-starchy vegetables, a quarter of the plate, starchy vegetables and whole grains. And then the other quarter of the plate is going to be protein. So things like meat, eggs, and fish. If you are more vegetarian or vegan, then you can include beans, lentils, tofu, tempeh in this category as well. And then in the middle of the plate, I picture this circle of healthy fats. 
So including at least two tablespoons of healthy fats. So thinking things like olives, olive oil, avocado oil, nuts and seeds, avocado, and then fatty fish can also be included in this as well. And this is going to make sure that you're getting the healthy fats, fiber, and protein you need to maintain a stable blood sugar. So you're not just eating a, you know, a carb-heavy meal that is going to spike your blood sugar and spike insulin and further contribute to insulin resistance. So one way that you can really start out your day really great is with a nutrient-dense breakfast. And this is one of the first changes I typically recommend my patients make, and it makes such a huge difference in how they feel within, I'd say, a week, maybe two weeks tops. The most common differences people notice is going to be better energy. I hear from people all the time, I used to come home from work and completely crash, and now I have energy to work out, or I have energy to you know, do an activity with my partner or go walk the dog. They also notice less brain fog, less sugar cravings, and just overall making better food choices at dinner time and lunchtime because they're not, you know, in this starvation craving state. So some examples of a nutrient-dense breakfast, one would be something like toast, which is going to give you that fiber with avocado, so healthy fats. And then a hard-boiled egg, so that gives you that protein. So I like to take a hard-boiled egg and slice it and put it on my avocado toast. And then to get some veggies in there, sometimes I'll do sliced tomatoes or even um, some like mixed greens or arugula on top of the avocado toast, or even doing something simple like mixed greens with a dribble of olive oil and sea salt on the side. I know not everyone's going to want leafy greens in the morning, but if that is something that sounds good to you, an easy way to get some veggies in first thing in the morning. Another common breakfast is going to be something like oats. So oftentimes people think oats, health food, I'm going to have that for breakfast and I'll be good to go. Oats are, of course, healthy. They do provide fiber, but we want to make sure that we are including healthy fats and protein with it as well. So if you're doing something like oats and banana or oats and berries, adding in something like flax seeds, which are going to provide healthy fats, maybe walnuts, which also give healthy fats a scoop of nut butter, which will be fat and protein, or even a scoop of collagen for added protein can be really helpful, um, especially if you're somebody who finds that you're eating oats and then getting hungry you know, an hour or two later. And then the last thing I'll say for breakfast is doing something like a smoothie can be helpful if you're one of those people that wakes up and just does not have an appetite to eat anything. I hear that a lot from women who say, you know, I would eat something, but I'll, I'm not hungry at all. So all I'm really like in the mood for is coffee. So making a smoothie that you can sip on throughout the morning and bring it with you to work can be really helpful. With your smoothies, I always recommend including a, health, a handful of leafy greens. So like a handful of spinach. And then doing something like berries, you're getting some antioxidants in there. Maybe doing something like avocado instead of banana so that you increase healthy fats. I know a few grocery stores around here in Atlanta have frozen avocado in the same section as frozen fruit, which is really helpful because, of course, avocados go bad like in the blink of an eye. Um, So checking out your local grocery store for that can be an easy way to keep avocado on hand. And then, of course, adding in something like that collagen powder again, 
maybe something like chia seeds or hemp seeds, which are going to be high in protein and healthy fats and fiber as well. So again, really the goal is to just think about how can you add foods to your meals to support your hormones. And that's going to be focusing on a protein, a healthy fat, and a fiber with every meal. Something else that can also be helpful for improving insulin resistance is to drink one ounce of apple cider vinegar anywhere from five to 10 minutes before meals. And there are multiple small scale studies that have looked at anywhere from half to one ounce of apple cider vinegar before meals and have found that it has improved fasting blood sugar levels, improved hemoglobin A1C, which is a marker that your primary care will typically look at every year. It's a marker that we use to diagnose prediabetes and diabetes. And it also found that apple cider vinegar can slow the emptying of food from our stomach. So essentially slow the absorption and breakdown of sugar. Now, of course, Larger scale studies are still needed, but apple cider vinegar is something that is so inexpensive, so easily accessible. Um, so really there's no harm in trying it. Um, I'll even take like an old um, herbal tincture bottle and put apple cider vinegar in that and then keep that in my purse. That way if I'm going like out to eat and I know I'm going to be eating a more carb heavy meal, I might have that beforehand just to give my body a little bit more support around blood sugar. And then one last thing I'll mention in terms of nutrition for blood sugar is going to be cinnamon. So multiple studies have looked at cinnamon and it's studied anywhere from one to six grams of cinnamon. And for a reference, one gram equals half a teaspoon. And it's found that cinnamon can actually improve blood sugar levels after eating. So it's going to be something really simple that you can add to your smoothies, your yogurt, your oatmeal. Um, and just an added way to further support blood sugar. If you're on a supplement that is marketed as a blood sugar supplement and it includes multiple herbs and nutrients, you might notice cinnamon on the ingredient label. It's often added to those types of products. And then moving on to movement for blood sugar stabilization. So strength training is going to be really great. So strength training improves insulin resistance by helping to move glucose into cells to be used for energy. And it also can improve the ability for insulin to bind to receptors on our cells. So essentially it increases our cells sensitivity to insulin. Now I prefer strength training versus something like long distance running because long distance running is going to increase cortisol, which is going to increase inflammation, can contribute to weight gain. So of course we want to manage cortisol levels, especially when it comes to PCOS. One study also found that just 15 to 20 minutes of strength training improved insulin sensitivity by 16% for up to 16 hours. So that just goes to show that you don't have to be going to the gym for an hour every day. You don't have to go get a personal trainer. You don't have to be killing yourself with these weights even just 15 to 20 minutes. I mean, doing something, you know, while your dinner cooks in the oven or doing something while you're watching TV, it can be as simple as doing squats and push-ups and lunges and like body weight exercises at home. Studies have also found that walking for 15 minutes after meals can also improve insulin resistance. This is something I especially encourage if you have say like an hour lunch break at work 
have your lunch towards the beginning of the lunch break and then go on a walk, get outside. You know, not only is that going to be good for your blood sugar, but it's going to be good for your mood. It's going to get circulation going. It'll help to kind of clear your mind and get you ready for the second half of your day. Now I get asked a ton about supplements, especially from women who are not wanting to be on metformin. So metformin is commonly prescribed to women with PCOS for insulin resistance. It's actually often prescribed to women with PCOS who have never even been tested for insulin resistance, which I think is really important for you to take note of. If you've been prescribed metformin and you have PCOS, I would definitely ask your doctor if they ever looked at your blood sugar levels first, because not all women with PCOS have insulin resistance. So not all women are going to benefit from metformin. Metformin can also deplete vitamin B12 levels and can be hard on the liver to break down and metabolize. So it's something that you don't really want to be reliant on long-term if you don't have to be. If you've been prescribed metformin and your doctor has either never spoken to you about diet and lifestyle and how that impacts blood sugar, or maybe they said that it didn't matter, I would definitely try to work with a naturopathic or functional medicine doctor or a dietitian who can have that conversation with you. So I'm going to be discussing my top three probably most common use supplements when it comes to blood sugar. There are many, many helpful herbs and nutrients when it comes to blood sugar. So if these three aren't what you're on or what you've been recommended from your functional medicine doctor, um, don't freak out. These are just the three that I happen to use most often. So the first is going to be NAC, which stands for N-acetylcysteine. This is an amino acid that is not only helpful for improving insulin resistance, but it can help reduce inflammation improve egg health, and is often used by people for like sinusitis, like any sort of congestion in the face. It's something that the FDA has started to kind of try to regulate, um, especially because it became really popular with COVID um, because it does help people. I've seen it help my patients a ton when it comes to like congestion that's lingering because of COVID. So this is something that I'll recommend typically taking um, twice a day, usually about 600 milligrams twice a day. But of course, talk to your doctor or your dietitian before starting any new supplement. Um, This is just what I typically use with my patients and what I've seen work. And then the next, which I kind of touched on already, is going to be vitamin D. So studies have found vitamin D supplementation to improve insulin resistance and have found that vitamin D deficiency is associated with an increased risk of developing diabetes type 2. So vitamin D is also going to be important for mood and fertility and immunity, so really important to have adequate vitamin D levels. Now, if you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm on a vitamin D supplement, so I'm sure I'm fine, if you were to go to CVS and buy a vitamin D supplement, the dosage on there is typically going to be 2,000 IUs. This dosage is fine if your vitamin D levels are where they need to be. It's going to help you maintain those levels, but it's really not going to be enough to raise your levels. So I always recommend testing your vitamin D either with your primary care or your gynecologist. If they are not willing to test your vitamin D, you can also go to a self-pay lab like Quest and have that done. But I think it can be really helpful to know exactly how deficient you are in vitamin D I'll say on average, when I test my patients who are not supplementing, they typically come back at 25 to 30. 
for vitamin D, and really we want them more around 65. So you can see they have quite a ways to go there. It's also important to test your vitamin D levels and not just assume that you're really low because vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, meaning we store it in our fat and we can overdose on it. So it's important to not just start taking huge amounts of vitamin D for months on end without really monitoring your levels. And the last thing I'll mention is myo-inositol. So myo-inositol is the primary ingredient in ovocetol. And if you have PCOS, you may have heard of ovocetol, you may be taking ovocetol, but ovocetol is a combination of myo-inositol and D-chiro-inositol. And essentially these are just two different forms of a B vitamin-like substance. And I really love ovocetol because it combines these two um, substances in a ratio, in the exact ratio that's found in the body. So it's in a 40 to 1 ratio, 40 being the myo-inositol, 1 being the D-chiro-inositol. Now, ovocetol has been found to help with insulin resistance, also to help improve ovulation and egg health in women with PCOS. Um, it can also help our cells respond to thyroid hormones better. So really, really helpful with, for women with PCOS, especially if you have insulin-resistant PCOS. It is a powder and it has a slight sweet taste to it. So it's something that you will take one scoop twice a day, um, you can add it to your smoothies, to your tea, to your water. It's pretty easy to take um, and pretty affordable too. I will leave a link for Ovocetol as well as a discount code for you guys in the show notes. With Ovocetol, it does take about three to six months to see improvement. So if you take it and you don't get your period the next month, don't get too frustrated. Try to be consistent and patient with it because it does take time. Now, some other supplements you might either be on for blood sugar, or maybe you've noticed these in, like I said, those supplements for blood sugar that combine multiple nutrients and herbs. You might notice things like berberine, alpha lipoic acid, or chromium. So I just want to kind of highlight those quickly. Um, you know, that way, you know, if that's what you're primarily taking, it's not that those don't help with blood sugar as well. I just tend to go for those first three First, because they do have other health benefits um, associated with them when it comes to PCOS and just our overall well-being. So the last thing I'm going to touch on for blood sugar management is going to be sleep. And you may be rolling your eyes saying, I know sleep's important, but I just, you know, either don't sleep well or I'm too busy to get enough sleep. Um, but poor sleep, so waking up during the night as well as lack of sleep, so just get, not getting enough hours in general, has been associated with increased insulin resistance and increased rates of diabetes type 2. So really important to make sleep just as much of a priority as eating well and moving your body. And one way to do this is going to be to establish a bedtime routine. So say you know that you have to get into bed by 11 p.m. in order to get seven to eight hours of sleep, you know, depending on what time you have to wake up at. So maybe at 10 p.m. you start your bedtime routine. And that can look like, you know, maybe just stopping your work for the night. Maybe it means, you know, turning off any show or social media that's causing you anxiety. One that comes to mind is euphoria. I have never seen it, but everyone keeps telling me how anxiety provoking that is. And if you're watching that before bed and then you're trying to go to sleep and you're just like kind of wired, then maybe save that for earlier in the night or, you know, the weekend. 
but trying to set a bedtime routine and then going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time is going to help your body get into a rhythm, which it really loves when it comes to sleep. Also for supporting sleep, turning off the blue light on any of your devices at least two hours before bed. I even like to do it when the sun goes down. So on your iPhone, there's a setting to do this. If you go to your navigation screen where you would normally like turn the volume up and down or turn the brightness on your screen up and down, where you can turn the brightness up, you'll see a little sundial. You can t- hold that sundial down and then you'll see an option that pops up to turn on or off night shift mode. And night shift mode is essentially going to remove the blue light from your screen Now, blue light can inhibit our body's ability to produce melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. Essentially, blue blue light tricks our brain into thinking the sun's still out. So our body will say, oh, it's not time to make melatonin yet. It's not time to go to bed. So one way is turning off the blue light on your phone. And then also on your computer, you can download something called F-Lux. So that's F period L-U-X. And I'll link that in the show notes as well. But it's something that is free that you can download to your computer and you can put it on a timer so that way, say at 7 p.m. every night, the blue light on your screen gets removed and then in the morning it comes back. So something small, a small habit that you can implement, but a good way for supporting good sleep, which can then support blood sugar and your hormones. And then tying back to the importance of not letting your blood sugar drop too low That can also apply for our sleep. So if you are somebody who wakes up often during the night, I would consider maybe are you letting your blood sugar drop too much when you're sleeping? And I'll often see this with women who are trying to lose weight and they have been, you know, convinced that they need to stop eating at a certain time. Spoiler alert, does not matter what time you eat at. Um... So maybe they, you know, think that they can't eat after 6 p.m. And then they're going to bed at, you know, 11 or 12 and they're waking up at 3 in the morning every time. Um, And sometimes that can be a sign that our blood sugar is dropping too low and it's our body's protective mechanism of waking us up to say, hey, blood sugar is too low and we need blood sugar to an extent to survive. Um, And it's kind of like waking you up to say, hey, go eat something. So if you're one of those people who maybe wakes up during the night consistently and then you're waking up in the morning really hungry, um, consider having a small snack maybe an hour before bed and making sure the snack is including some sort of like protein and fat so that way the blood sugar is staying stable throughout the night. So even doing something like, you know, a handful of nuts or a piece of fruit and nut butter, maybe a coconut yogurt with chia seeds and raspberries um, can be really nice. So just something to consider, um, you know, of course, waking up in the middle of the night is not always going to be related to blood sugar, but it is something to think about if you're somebody who, you know, is going a long time between dinner and bedtime. So that is what I have for you today. I hope that that was helpful and getting some wheels turning in terms of how you can support your blood sugar. You know, whether or not you have insulin resistance now, I think just moving forward in life, it's really important to support our blood sugar so that we don't put ourselves at risk for prediabetes or diabetes, especially if you have a family history of it. Um, You know, diabetes has become so common just because of the world we live in. You know, we're more sedentary. We have more access to processed foods. Um, So, you know, again, going back to the idea, idea of, 
focusing on how you can add foods to your plate to support blood sugar and not worrying so much about what foods you need to avoid. So of course, if you have any questions, topic requests, if you just want to connect, you can DM me at Dr. Danielle period ND on Instagram and TikTok. I will link that in the show notes. If you think anyone, you know, your sister, friend, mom, anyone could benefit from learning more about their body and their hormones, please send this podcast to them. You never know what might resonate with someone. Um, I think a lot of times when it comes to women's health and hormones, we don't really talk about it much with people. Um, Fortunately, social media is starting to help with that and starting to take away the taboo of talking about our periods and talking about our PCOS or our thyroid disorders. Um, But you never know who in your life might be struggling with that, but just too afraid to say something because maybe they think they're the only ones going through it um, or they're just not really sure what to do about it. So thank you so much for being here and I look forward to chatting with you next time.